Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I want to just tell you a real quick story as we get into this today because I want to start a new series about a journey with God. How many of you want to take a journey with God? How many of you are on a journey with God? If you're not on that journey, I want to talk to you about moments of that journey today and I'm going to hopefully encourage you to get it started on a journey because I don't believe that anybody is here today by accident. You say, oh, we came to see my nephew get baptized. No, you're not here by accident. God orders our steps. Even if you don't trust Him, God is ordering your steps. Why? Because every step that He directs in your life, He wants to lead you straight to Him. That's what He's trying to do. And so He wants to have a conversation with you today. That's what God wants to do. You came here today to have a conversation with the Lord. And so He, is, he started the conversation by, inviting, by getting you to come. And whether, you're, whether you're a regular person here or whether you are, this is your first time here, God wants to have a conversation with you today. And I want to encourage you to consider a journey in your life with God. Consider that. Maybe you've considered it before. Maybe you've thought about it and you thought, nah, I don't know if that's for me. I just want to encourage you once again, take the time this morning to consider a journey with God. Because when you, when you discover what God's purpose is for your life, when you discover God's plan for your life, let me tell you, it makes sense. It's like you've been trying to put a puzzle together for years. And it's a thousand-piece puzzle. Anybody tried those? Yeah, I hate them. Don't do them. I do like six-piece puzzles. Yeah, there we go. You're trying to put that puzzle together of your life, and you always get it almost put together, and it seems like that there's pieces that are missing. And you look underneath the table, and you look all around, and you can't find that piece. There's just a piece missing. Do you know that that's what life is like without God? You can put all the pieces together and you can plug them in, but you'll get right down to the end and you'll say, you know what, I'm missing some pieces. Well, let me tell you, the missing piece is God Himself because He created the puzzle and you are His masterpiece. He's the one that's putting you together. And if you allow Him, He will complete your puzzle. So I want to tell you a story about a guy named Desert Pete. Desert Pete uh, was a guy who lived in the desert. And a man was once walking through the desert and he found this letter stuck on a baking soda can wired to the handle of an old pump that offered a little bit of hope for drinking water on a very long, seldom used trail through the Arizona desert. He opened the can, he pulled out this letter, and this is what it read. This pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it, and, I, and it ought to last for five years. But the washer dries out, and the pump has to get primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out of the sun with a cork, with the cork end up. There's enough water in that bottle to prime the pump, but not if you drink it first. So pour about a quarter of the bottle and let it soak and wet the leather and then pour the rest medium fast and pump like crazy. You'll get water. The well has never run dry. So have some faith. And when you get watered up, fill the bottle back up 
and put it back under that rock like you found it for the next feller, Desert Pete. P.S. Don't go drinking up that water first. Prime the pump with it and you'll get all you can hold. Now, if you were that lonely traveler walking through that desert, parched with no canteen, you're empty of water, and you opened that jar and found that letter written by Desert Pete, a man that you don't know, you don't know if he's a lunatic, you don't know if it's just a hoax, you don't know if the well is nothing but a dry, dusty nothing. You don't have a guarantee. There's no guarantee that what he claims in that letter is true. So what do you do? Do you gamble on the letter? Do you gamble on what he says? Do you take your chance? Do you take a risk? Do you take an adventure? What does your faith tell you to do? This morning what I want to do is I want to pose that question to you as far as the Word of God goes. As far as that conversation with God. I'm going to share with you a story. I'm going to share with you something that will help you to realize that I'm encouraging you to take that risk of faith. Have that conversation with God. Because a journey with God manifests itself every day in our life. In your life, there's always a battle before there's a victory, right? There's always a struggle before a celebration. There's always a steps that you have to take before you arrive at your destination. There's always practice before perfection. And in a walk of faith, that's exactly the way it was. If you look through the Scriptures, those of you who are familiar, you'll realize that the Israelites had to march out of Egypt all the way to the Red Sea before God parted it. If you know the story of Naaman, he was a leper and, and uh, the prophet Elijah told him, go down and dip in the, in the river Jordan seven times. He didn't say five, he didn't say three, he didn't say two, he said seven times. Can you imagine this man who is dipping in this muddy river trying to cure leprosy and he got to the fifth time and he comes up and he says, when is this going to work? Seven times. He had to follow through with what the prophet had told him. Think about Gideon back in the book of Judges. This man, his name was Gideon. He was the leader of Israel. And he had 32,000 men at his disposal to fight and, to, and, and, to, and to, to, to be the military for the Israeli people. And what did God do? God spoke to him. He said, I want you to reduce your forces from 32,000 down to 3,000. Because then you'll know that it's not about the military might or your strength. You'll know that it was me. And that's what faith is. Faith says, do I trust God even when it doesn't look like it's something that I should do? Do I pump? Do I pour the water in the well so that I can prime the pump even when it doesn't feel like that this is, I need to drink this water? No, my friends, what you need to do is discover faith. Because when you discover faith, at the bottom of the well lies all the water you could ever want. And that's what God is. He is the resource of our life. He is the joy. He is the hope. He is the spring. He is the faith. He is the everything that you want. He's the missing piece of the puzzle. That's who He is. Remember the boy? And that crowd and mass of people? Everybody's hungry? Like some of you now? And the disciples asked Jesus, what are we going to do? Jesus says, I'll take care of this. 
They bring in this boy. They say, we've got this boy. He's got five loaves of bread. His mama made him this morning. And two little perch. Two little fish. It's all he's got. You know what he had to do? That little boy, that was his lunch. Mama made him lunch. He had to give up his lunch. But in doing so, Jesus multiplied it to feed 5,000 people. It's amazing how faith works. And as you walk with God, you'll realize that there's something so outstanding about how God does things. And those little small steps of faith, those little moments, those little conversations that you and I have, that the Holy Spirit is having with you right now. What he's saying, he's saying at the bottom of the well is all the water you want, but you first have to prime the pump. You've got to prime the pump. In Joshua chapter 3, there's a story that I'm going to be taking you through the next few weeks, the book of Joshua, just, just some things that the Lord's just kind of laid upon my heart. In Joshua chapter 3, there's a story of how Joshua, this man who has followed Moses all of his life, he's... He's the next leader of Israel. He's coming up to the, to the promised land. The holy land. And he comes up to the river Jordan. And that's where we find the story picking up in Joshua chapter 3 verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they, where they camped before crossing over. And after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. Since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Don't go near it. And so Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Is there anybody in this room who would love for the Lord to do amazing things in your life? I mean, just amaze you to shock you to just blow your socks off. I would love to see God do some amazing things in my life, in my family, in this church, in this city, in our nation. Hey, God do some amazing things. In this passage, there's a few lessons, and I just want to, I would, I would title my message, Crossing Moments in Life. You know, in your life, there are all, there are these moments where we have intersections. Crossing moments, important moments. Like the moment I know I saw on Facebook some of the kids that graduated this week. Moments in your life. Hey, I graduated. Graduated college. Started a new career. Those moments of, of, of getting married. I graduated. I got married. The moment you had your first child. Those crossing moments. When you, when you started a new career. When you moved to another city. When God directed you to go somewhere else. Uh, uh, to minister, whatever it might, there are crossing moments in your life and you remember them all. They're important to you because those were defining moments in your life. During those defining moments, there are lessons to be learned. And God wants to help you 
to know how to respond in those crossing moments. The first thing that I want to show you just in this passage, if you look in verse 2, it says that they've got to the river and after three days. Now, they're at the Jordan River. Some of you know the geography. Some of you failed geography in high school. Don't raise your hand, okay? Keep your hands down. But you have the Jordan River from the Sea of Galilee, and the Jordan River flows all the way from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea, flowing from north to south. 25% of the Jordan River, the what you read about in the Scripture, is just nothing but mud. Year-round, mostly, it, that's all it is. It's just mud. And it stretches about 200 miles, the length, almost the length of the nation of Israel. Now, in the... In the uh, Winter months, it's dry as a bone usually. But in the spring, the rains that fall on Mount Hermon up on the north begin to pour down and that everything runs into the Jordan River. That's why they call it the Jordan River Valley. It's one of the most lush places on earth. It can grow anything. All that rain kind of funnels into this Jordan River. And it turns that little dry creek bed, that little, that little cracked, muddy, muddy creek into a rushing river. I mean, it is a torrent. At the time that Joshua and the people of Israel arrive at the Jordan River, this muddy creek that's usually just a hundred feet wide is now a mile across, Joe. It's a mile wide. And they're standing at the river and Joshua gets them there and he says, for three days I want you to look right there. Let's look out across that river. Now remember, they have been waiting for 40 years. Is there anybody in this room who's ever waited for something for 40 years? Anybody? You've waited for something for 40 years? I see your hand. I know what you're talking about. One of the lessons that we have to learn in the crossing moments of life is we have to learn how to wait. Look at your neighbor and say, I need to learn how to wait. Come on, tell them. Tell them. It's important. You tell them. Participate. If your neighbor's asleep, wake them up and say, hey, tell me. Right now, I need to wait. I need to learn how to wait. You need to learn how to wait. I'll tell you. If your husband won't tell you because he's scared, you need to learn how to wait. If your wife won't tell you because you're so hard-headed you wouldn't listen anyway, you need to learn how to wait. There they were, strung along the riverbank, waiting 40 years to get to where God's told them they wanted to go. And God does this. He says, I want you to wait three more days. Ah, that's a lifetime. Three days? Are you kidding me? Three days? Why do I have to wait? No one likes to wait. There's not one person in this room who enjoys waiting. Nobody likes to wait because we tend to be the horn-honking, microwave-loving, FedEx-mailing, fast-food-eating, express-lane-driving bunch of people. We don't want to wait. That's who we are. But if you don't learn to wait, you'll miss some of the most important crossing moments with God. You know why? Because waiting is the hardest thing about trusting. Hardest thing about trusting 
is the waiting period. It's hard. Because if you really want to trust God, you have to learn how to wait. You have to, you have to have faith. You have to see it in your heart before you see it with your eyes. You know, we, we live by this old adage, don't just sit there, do something. I mean, I heard that a million times. Going, don't just sit there. But do you know, sometimes God comes to us and He says, don't just do something, sit there. But what if we started living that way, right? In our life that's so busy, some of you, your schedules, you need an extra day. You need the eighth day of the week. God missed one because you need it to get all the stuff done that you got to get done. Shannon and I pass each other half the time, coming in and going out. We're just leaving. Hey, see you later. Hey, got something. Hey, got this meeting. Hey, I'm done. We're so busy. We've got we've to learn how to wait. And what we need to do is we need to stop being so busy about doing our life that we just wait and stand still and say, God, let's have this conversation. Some of you are at crossing moments in your life. I mean, we're going to baptize several people today. This is a crossing moment for them. It's a flag in the ground that you, you stab, you know, you, you, some of you teenagers, I want you to stick this flag in the ground. I want you to say, you know what? That was the day. Write it down. That was the day that I declared to all my family, all my friends, I am following Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something else. What we've started doing at our church is we hold you accountable to that. If you want to confess faith right here and say, this is what's happened in my heart, We're going to hold you accountable to it. I, as your pastor, have been charged to hold you accountable to that. It's a moment in your life. It is a crossing moment that you have to say, you know what, I'm I'm different. I'm not the same person. When you get to those moments, realize that if you're just waiting, like some of you are, you've been waiting on God to do something that you've been praying about for years, maybe months, new career, Finding that special person if you're single. Whatever you might be doing, waiting. Remember this, that you're not just waiting around. You're waiting on God. You're waiting on God. When Shannon and I first moved to Denton and we started Journey Church, started at the Cinemark over here off 35. We were in there for about a year. Part of our team was, you know, we've still got some original members of our team still in the church. We moved over to Golden Triangle Mall. Some of you are, have been in Denton long enough, you may remember that we were there in the mall. How many of you were at, with, at church with us in the mall? There's a handful. We were in the mall, you say, in the mall, yeah, where the old uh, dollar theater used to be. The cheapo movies, you know, that was where, you know, cheapo movie. Right next to it, that's where we put our offices. It was just a God thing, how we did that. Every Sunday morning, some of you don't, haven't been around new church plants or church starts or whatever. You don't, you don't know what all goes involved in it. But if you look around, all of this stuff like right here and everything that's out there and all the kids' things that they, we've got going on there, you do that every Sunday. Which means you take it all down and then you put it all up. And you can use your math to figure out that that's 52 times a year that you're tearing church down, putting it in a box, and you're putting church back up every week. Every week. 
We did that for five years. Every week. Tear church down. Put church up. Tear church down. Put church up. I'm not going to tell you how much I aged in those five years. Some of you say way more than five. (laughs) I prayed so often. I said, oh God, would you please just... Provide a building. Give us something. I'll take a garage at this point. A warehouse. Anything. That we can just leave stuff up. I am exhausted, Lord. And I begin to pray this about, about six months in. Lord, I'm tired. I had no idea it would be five years. Five years. Through that five years, let me tell you, God taught me faithfulness. We waited and we waited and we waited and we waited. Year after year after year. One of the greatest lessons that I can tell you about waiting upon God is this. You have to understand what it's like to be faithful in the ordinary. Now, I want to to camp out right here because I want you to catch this. Most of our lives is not some extraordinary event. Most of you didn't make the news this week. And I hope it wasn't on Crime Stoppers if you did. (laughs) Most of you didn't. I didn't make the news. I just did ordinary. Malachi, just ordinary, man. I'm I'm just plain old ordinary. Just waking up, going to work, doing my thing. But you know what? You gotta be faithful. In the ordinary. You can't be, oh, I'm all in on Sunday and come Thursday. Man, I'm out of gas. Give this up. I quit. Three weeks later, hey, pastor, I'm back. I'll help you set up. What? Faithful in the ordinary. And that's what, when you wait on God, that's what He teaches you. Ah, It's just an ordinary Tuesday. Yeah, but how are you going to spend that ordinary Tuesday when God has a conversation planned for you with your coworker that needs to hear about the love of God because they're going through a divorce and they just need to hear somebody tell them, hey, look, God cares about you. I had that happen this week. I'm at the gym. This dude that I don't even know his name, just this guy that I've seen I'm working out with, you see, I, I call him, he won't know because... I don't know his name, but I call him Big Country. I was like, man, dude, Big Country, he's pumping some iron. You know, he's throwing double plates. He's just throwing 225 around like it's nothing. I'm over there stretching, getting ready for my workout. Big Country walks over to me. He says, hey, man, how are you? I said, hey, man, I don't see your partner. You know, your other dude, you know, he moved. Mike moved. My wife left me in March. What? I just lost all my pump. I was like, okay. My wife left me in March for the next 30 minutes standing in the middle of the gym. This big, huge, muscular dude pours his heart out to me. Why? Because God had a planned appointment that I was supposed to just be there. Now let me tell you something. There's two reasons why I go to the gym. Number one is I don't want to get fat. And number two, because God has a divine appointment. That's why He kept bringing me back over and over and over. Now, I did talk to the Lord and say, Lord, why don't you help me meet somebody at Brahms? I'll go there every day. <laughs> Skip the workout. I'll go to Brahms. Give me a big old chocolate 
Sunday. Not talk to anybody about Jesus over ice cream. I waited, waited, and waited. He wasn't the first guy that I've talked to there at the gym. I'll tell you something. When you wait on the Lord and you're just faithful in the ordinary, God will do amazing things like what He says. Just wait three more days. Three more days. Just wait. Just wait because God's going to do something. I want you to just wrap your mind around this, Joshua is saying. I want you to just get to the river because in three more days, God's going to do something great. It doesn't stop there. He says this. If you go down to the next few verses, it's the last verse that we read. It's verse 5. He says, I want you to do this. I want you to consecrate yourselves. Now, that's not a word that we use very often, consecrate. You know, I mean, that's something you'd see on a, you know, a movie where, you know, some king in his court, consecrate yourselves, you know, something silly like that. We don't, we don't say that. I would say you probably haven't used the word consecrate in your vocabulary this week. But you do use the word commitment. You do use the word commitment and commit. And that's really what consecration was. It was a commitment. And it was an outward display of that commitment. Because when they would consecrate themselves, what the Israelites would do is they would they would begin to wash, they would wash themselves. It was a ceremonial thing that they did that was directed all the way back from the book of Leviticus. They began to cleanse themselves. They practiced these ceremonial rites that they would just, they would want to be cleansed. And in a sense, what they were doing is they were washing the world off of them. That's really kind of the, the symbol. They were washing the world off of them. Anybody but me ever, when you just kind of live in the world, you know, you just feel kind of dirty after a while? I mean, seriously. I can turn on TV and within 15 minutes, I feel like I need a bath half the time. It's not just the, sh- it's not the show that I'm, but the commercials are just as bad. You know, I'm like, dear God. Just the world, and that's what they would do. That was kind of the symbol. As they said, consecrate yourselves. Because Joshua is saying, I want you to approach God with a pure heart, a clean heart, a blameless mind. You're about to enter the holy land and if you're going to enter the holy land then you need to be a holy people. At the crossing moments of life one of the things that God is going to teach you is He's going to teach you a lesson on consecration. A lesson on commitment. Not just waiting for God for the next steps but you're going to learn commitment God was telling them only holy people will occupy the holy land. The need for holiness, purity, and separation always comes before the blessings of God begin to flow in our life. We often believe that God is going to bless us and when God blesses us, then we're going to make a change in our life, right? Oh Lord, if you'll just do this, then I'll do this. But the gauntlet has already been laid before us. The charge has already been laid. If you will consecrate yourselves, then tomorrow I'm going to do amazing things. God always says that holiness precedes honor. 
that cleanliness precedes usefulness, that penance precedes power. And for Joshua and the people of Israel right here standing on the banks of the Jordan River, it was no different. That promise that God would do amazing things, that He would be miraculous in their life, that promise, that contingent was if they would consecrate, commit themselves. In America, we have a real commitment problem. There's a real commitment problem in our culture. People no longer commit for long term. Whether it's taking a marriage vow or following Jesus, that commitment is something that God asks for. And He expects, in order for Him to do great things in your life, He says, I want to know what your commitment is. And in the times of testing, in those crossroads of life, what God will do is He will test your commitment. Whenever you make a decision to follow Jesus, the very next moment will challenge that commitment. Your schedule, your friends, your spouse, you name it. Your commitment to God will always be challenged. Why? Because you have an enemy, as Paul says. And he roams around looking for an easy lunch. He's looking to see what kind of commitment that you have. Commitment to that relationship, commitment to your friendship, commitment to your church, commitment to whatever. God is wanting to know what kind of commitment. In America, we have a real commitment problem. And one of the things that surfaces out of that commitment problem that happens in the church is because the church has, has lost had that commitment, has the commitment problem and it expresses itself in a lack of holy living. Lack of holy living. You see, in our culture, what has happened is our culture has redefined Christianity. So to follow Jesus, we just make up the rules as we go. We don't worry about what the Bible says. I mean, you know, you can just take whatever page and tear it out and then use whatever you want to do. Following Jesus just means that Jesus is going to do all the blessing, but I'm going to live my life however I want to. My friend, that is the most distorted view of Christianity that has ever existed. And it is the most dangerous because what it is, is it's self-reliance. I'm saying that I'm going to get to heaven my way and that doesn't work, friends. There's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to God. And it says in Acts that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. You say, well, I get that pastor and here's our culture's response well i get that i love jesus he's a great guy oh yeah well why don't you look like him i'm sorry i didn't tell you to wear steel-toed shoes this morning stepping on your toes why don't you look like jesus why don't you act like jesus why does your language still not not sound like jesus why is your attitude so rotten it's nothing like jesus well i like jesus he's a you know he he's the savior yeah but he's not your lord True Christianity says, I am following Jesus. I have decided. That's what our baptism church, I have decided to follow Jesus. I don't look like the world. I don't act like the world. My life is changed. And for the people that are going to be baptized in just a moment, I want you to realize that this is just the beginning, friend. We've got several kids that are going to be baptized. 
And I'm thankful at this young age. As long as they can express to me what it's about, I'm all for it. Because here's how it goes. Never discourage a child if they're pursuing the Lord. My son, who's in college, he calls me the other day. He tells me this story. He said, Dad, I've got to tell you, it was like 11 o'clock at night. He's in mountain time. He's in Colorado Springs. I said, I said, what's up, son? He's like, man, I, Dad, I just had to call you. I was like, what happened? He said, well, we had uh, F- our FCA meeting tonight. And he said, I went, and he, he said, I took La'a, which is, he's a Hawaiian uh, buddy of his. He's a senior. And he said, after the end of the, the time, the guy got through talking and and, and uh, he asked people, hey, is there anybody in the room who would like to, dis- to follow Jesus, who would like to give their heart to Jesus? He said, La'a shot his hand up. He was like, Dad, I've been talking to him and just, just kind of living in front, just kind of just being me. And here's this guy that he's a senior. At the Air Force Academy, let me tell you something, upperclassmen, they're like the juice, okay? You know, the lower classmen, they're just like, the, you get walked on, you know. You're not, and Seth being a sophomore, and he's got this senior buddy, and the senior raised his hand. He said, Daddy told me, he's like, man, I've never felt this way before. He said, I went to one church meeting ever in my life is when I was a freshman in high school, and somebody talked to me about Jesus. He said, but just kind of watching you, and you bringing, bringing me here made a difference in my life. Seth was like, yeah. He said, Dad, it really helped me because, he said, I, honestly, I don't know what kind of testimony I have. He said, I was raised in church all my life. I never really did any rambunctious stuff. I mean, yeah, he was kind of rambunctious. But he never really, like, he didn't fall off the, the deep end, you know, and, and mess his life up and wreck his life. And he said, Dad, I really don't have a great testimony Let me tell you something. I said, son, you've got the greatest testimony because I said you gave your heart to the Lord when you were just a child and you were baptized as a little boy. Can you imagine all the things that God has kept you from? What an incredible testimony. So so parents, watching your kids get baptized, let me tell you something. It is an exciting moment because you can say, Lord, I pray that you would deepen that commitment and keep them from this world. That's a prayer that I've prayed over my children for 20 plus years. Lord, keep them from this world. Consecrate yourselves. And then finally, I wrap up with this. Verse 3, he says, Give orders to the people, and when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, who are Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. When you see the ark, when you see the presence, when you see the glory of God, when you see the Lord moving, that's when you get up and you start moving. Your journey with God, your, your walk with God will always require moments of faith. It will always require moments where you're going to hold the bottle of water and you're going to hold the pump in the other hand and you're going to say, which one do I choose? Do I take the easy way and I solve my thirst problem right now and I chug the water or do I take the faith and I take the risk and I pour the water into the pump and I prime the pump so that I'll have an endless supply of water? Which one do you do? It's all about faith. That's why living a life of faith, living a life of Christ, is the most fun, most adventurous, most exciting journey that you can ever go on. Anybody say amen to that? 
I mean, even if you have walked some tough roads, I've walked some tough roads. Shannon, we've, we've walked some tough roads. Let me tell you, when you follow God at the bottom of the well, there is a, an endless supply of living water. If you will just have faith, prime the pump, and He will deliver the water that you need. God brought them to this place through the river to the waters of Jordan. And he said, when I begin to move, I want you to just take that step. Move out in faith. Here's what's unique when I think about this story. As the ark began to move, the Bible specifically says this, nothing happened as they all start walking until their feet hit the water. When your feet start hitting the water, it's one of those moments where you're just like, well, I'm into this now. It's when your feet, you have to get in over your head. And that's when God begins to split the waters apart and dry up. You see, it was different than the Red Sea. The Red Sea, the Bible says that as they walked, the waters walled up on both sides. But here, when they crossed the Jordan, the Bible says that the the river was dammed up, which means that the water quit flowing. Now, once again, I want to tell you and remind you, this was the spring, and the water was rushing across this a mile wide. But as they begin to walk, and they begin to feel the current underneath their legs, all of a sudden, where they thought that they would be waist-deep, begin to drop. It was now knee-deep. And when they're like, wow, knee-deep, and then it became ankle-deep, and it dried up as they walked across. You see, it's going to look like, as you're walking in faith, like it's going to drown you. You're going to keep stepping in over. It's going to, water's going to get higher and higher. Then there's going to be a moment. It's that crossing moment that you're going to realize, wow, the water's not getting any higher, and I'm still walking into this river. What's going on? It's because somewhere upstream, God is doing a miracle. There is something happening up the way that you can't see. But God is doing it. And He's drying up the challenges and drying up the issues and drying up the problems that you're walking right through. God is doing a miracle in your life. And He's just drying up the water. But you had to keep walking into that river. You had to keep going. It's a lesson of faith. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, faith for delivering us is not faith. Now, I want you to hear this. This is so important, and I'm going to close with this statement. Regina, would you come? A faith that will deliver us is not really faith. When I saw this, I thought, wow, that's kind of strange. But whether you are delivered or you are not, and you stick with your belief that God is good and that God still loves, that is when you know you have faith. That's a great thought. Faith is not when you say, Oh my God, my life is caving in. Would you deliver me? Faith is even when He doesn't, you still cry, Oh my God, I still praise You. I still love You. You are still a God who is good. Faith.
Very simply this morning, I just want to ask you, would you take that risk today? Would you, would you take a risk today? Maybe it's a risk of generosity that you need to have that you can trust God to take care of you. Maybe it's a risk of forgiveness. You need to forgive the other person. You don't know how they're going to respond, but it really doesn't matter, does it? Because when your faith engages, God does something amazing. It may be a risk of using a spiritual gift. Let me tell you something. We are a spirit-filled church. We believe in the move and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We believe that God gives us gifts that we can't create that we can't come up with by our own talent because God we know that we're limited but God makes up the difference by the gifts of the spirit maybe you need to step out in that gift and see the joy that's released in your life maybe it's a phone call the risk of making that phone call to encourage somebody to show concern for somebody to know the satisfaction of just touching somebody else If we prime the pump, we'll have all the water we want. There's a lesson at the crossings of life. I'd like for you to bow your head real quick. And then we're going to be baptizing some folks. Some of you are at those crossing moments of life. You're, you're, you're at a, an impasse. You stand before a river that's, that's in front of you and it is... It is raging. You've been learning some lessons in your life. You've learned the lesson of waiting. You hate it, but God's helping you. You're learning patience. You're learning that lesson of commitment and consecration, of just being faithful in the ordinary. You're at that crossing moment. God's, the Holy Spirit's speaking to some of you right now. I mean, He is really just, He's, he's pointing out things. If you specifically see it right in front of you, the Holy, that's the Holy Spirit. He's dealing with you. Some of you are at that crossing point where it's, it's going to take you when the presence of God, when you see God calling you, you have to, you, you move and, and you're going to get into the water before it dries up. It, it, it wasn't immediate. It took a minute you got to get into the water. And you say, Lord, it's do or die. It's me, or, me and you. That's it. And you get into the water. But as you begin to walk, you're going to notice that the water doesn't consume you. But that the Lord is holding you. And He's drying up the enemy's plans and circumstances and things that are looking to take you and sweep you down the river. That's faith. You're learning faith. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I, I'm holding the jar, of, I'm holding the, the water bottle in my right hand and I've got the pump in my left and I'm trying to make the decision. Do I trust God? And do I pour myself into this thing and see if he'll supply everything that I need or do I try to keep doing it on my own do I just I just run my life and I just go from one week to the next or one month to the next or just make it through the day not going will you trust the Lord enough to give him your life today in just a moment we're going to stand
And I want to pray with you. We're going to baptize. This is the most important moment of the day. We're going to stand and I'm going to encourage you. And you just, you're going to, here's how you're going to respond. If you want to make a decision today, you're at a crossing moment. You want to make a decision. You're going to take your life. You're going to, you read the note. It wasn't Desert Pete. It was the Word of God. You read the note and the note said, pour yourself in. Because when you pour yourself in, I'll give you all that you want. When we stand, and Regina plays this song, you'd say, that's me, Pastor. I'm pouring myself in. I'm committing today. I'm going to tell God I'm ready for the lessons. I want you to move out from where you are. I want you to come to one of these altars here on my right and left. And I just want you to kneel before the Lord. And I want you to just dedicate yourself again. Maybe you say, you know, I've been away from the Lord, but I'm going to come back. Today is my day. You just want to respond to that. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.